This is Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. Let's go ahead and get started. I'm Pastor Tom, Senior Pastor at North Glencoe Baptist Church, and I'm here today with... Hey, everybody. My name's Donna. I serve here as the Children's and Women's Minister. And I am Matt, and I am the Student Pastor here at North Glencoe. So we are doing Not Another Church Podcast, and the last... A uh, couple of months, we have been walking through Old Testament stories and uh, those, those flannel graph stories we heard as a kid and, and trying to get some depth into them. And today we find ourselves um, at about as an adult story as you can get, Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, my. <laughs> so tell me exactly how you flannel graph through... Um, Lot offering up his daughters to the the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, see, there there's this concept of we go like over the top, sort of the overarching story. I've always of... kind of wanted to do a student ministry like <laughs> series of these are the stories you heard as a kid, and these are and this here's, is how it here's, really here's some more things about them. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. I don't know what to call them, but like I've seen some other youth pastor friends do these a series on the not the but they always they always run Halloween, and it's the scary or the the things that are you know not gory but like they have a little bit more details and a little bit more crazy things you know I'm you like, could do it just... like and here's the rest of the story yeah I mean, that, could... <laughs> that kind of angle but it's always there's a little because a... it's always the big story there's we're always few... like the people in Sodom and Gomorrah were mean to their neighbors yeah they were, uh, they, were they were ugly they were ugly they were ugly they treated others poorly yeah they were mean they were mean yes. like just yeah so yeah. all of a sudden you went from G like all of G and then all and then you look at it, it's like man some of these stories are PG thirteen and we some get into we get into a little R on some of them oh wow <laughs> we get into some R well on with some each stuff. one of our kids we attempted when they were little to read through the bot just from end to end through the Bible with them <laughs> this story you get to pretty fast yeah. as you're you're reading through and kids will note notice that you. You kind of flipped a few pages in the middle. <laughs> what about judges? <laughs> you get to judges, and uh, so let's just say that this man and his wife didn't get along. Yeah. And then some of the prophets. <laughs> so, but Hosea. this is definitely one that you 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 edit on the fly. You have to deal with because there's some very adult themes here. So where we left <laughs> it last week was the Christophany of the fact that you have three men. Two of them are angels. One of them is Yahweh that show up to tell uh, Abraham what's going on. Um, Sarah, uh, in hearing all of that, kind of kind of gets involved. And so the men, after they're talking with them, having promised Isaac's birth, it says the men turn, and I'm in Genesis 18, verse 22. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. So two of them walk off. Abraham still standing before the Christophany, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put righteousness to death to the wicked so that the righteous fares the wicked. Far be it that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Now, one of the things I love about this is what it says about prayer. And it is that Abraham is being real with God. He clearly understands and has a fear of the Lord. And the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He recognizes that when God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom, he's serious. That we're not just 
fooling around here anymore. Well, and another thing, which is, I guess, it's more of an apologetics thing. It is our God, Yahweh, has a track record of, A, doing exactly what he says he's going to do, which we have the blessing of knowing the rest of the couple thousand more pages that come after this story. But we off we all the time see that when God says he's going to do something, whether it be I'll bless you if this happens or if they continue on this path, I'll curse them, whatever that looks like, that God always is going to follow through because it, what he what comes out of his mouth is true. What comes out of his mouth is worthy to be praise, whether to be feared, whether to be acknowledged, all of those things. What he says is true. And this is a thing for me that like other other gods can say a lot of things. Like they can say, if you don't do this, this God, this God little G, little is going to feel this yeah. way, is going to curse you, is going to whatever. And But to know that our God, Yahweh, the one true God, when he says something, it means something. When he says that you will be cursed, you will be cursed. If he says you will be blessed, uh, if we're obedient, we are, we're blessed. It, it, what he says is true. And I think that's just right off the bat is for me something to look at and say, hey, that really, that again, that supports that we believe what we believe and why it's true versus other belief systems, other religions, because what God says is true. What God says will happen is true. And what God says this is going to happen if you don't repent is is always true. And we and as Abraham takes it seriously, it's for something for us to take seriously. When God speaks, we listen. He does take it seriously. And if you look at him, but what he's doing here is he begins to explore the God that he knows, the God that yes. he served, the God that he loves, the God that he has been faithful to. And now he begins to, to dialogue with him as he He's reverently saying, oh, okay, if there's this many, and then he goes down a little bit, if there's this many, and you can see he's exploring the depths of the mercy of God in this. And the, the, he, he is tying his prayer notice to uh, the glory of God, mm-hmm. not to what he wants. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's something that we would be wise to do as we pray is recognize that Abraham is saying here, for your namesake, this is what what I'm praying for. And I think as Abraham, as the numbers, and we all know the story that the number goes first, he starts out with 50. Well, they ain't 50. And so, and he knows a lot too. Yes. You, you catch that he knows and he's been hearing news. It's been circulating through the area. He knows what's been happening down there. Oh, absolutely yeah. he does. And so the number keeps backing up until, in fact, he keeps saying, oh, let the Lord not be angry. I will speak um, suppose 30 are there. So we go from, from 50 to 30, and then he's like, oh, let the Lord not be angry. I will speak again for this one. Suppose 10 are found. Now, if you take the count of Lot and his family and the people that they marry, you've just covered over 10 people. Yeah. So in theory, Abraham is thinking, I know there's 10 righteous, but lo and behold, Lot hadn't held the Lord God out in front of all of his family, so there aren't 10. Hmm. Um, and so, um, God says for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. And when he had finished speaking to Abram and Abram returned to his place. And so the two angels, remember before it started out with three angels, but Mm -hmm. we said one of them was a Christophany. Now the text is saying, now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting at the gate in the gate of Sodom, which tells us that Lot was in a position of leadership. And I, I think, we said this when we were looking at the garden, but I want want to hammer this home. Um, believer, if you keep your mouth shut, the world can go to hell in a handbasket all around you. Mm. Mm. I, I, there's there's a 
saying that's become really popular in Christian circles that says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use your mouth. That is one of the most stupid statements ever. That's like (laughs) saying, eat a meal, and if necessary, use your mouth. That's illogical. If the world doesn't know or care why we do what we do. Now, if you open your mouth and talk about Jesus and your life doesn't back that up, the world will certainly notice that and see that. But... um, if you're just a nice person or you're happy all the time, there's very few people that are going to care enough to ask you, why are you so happy? Why are you so happy? Yeah. Drive the car, but if necessary, use your hands. Like, that's <laughs> the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's so stupid. Well, yeah. and, and people are using that as an excuse because it's uncomfortable. It, it, well, it is. Yeah. Talking to people in general is uncomfortable because in our culture, it's – we will be put down. You will be looked at differently. You will. But I mean, it's not if we will. It's not if we will insert your biggest fear of being rejected or whatever. Here, it's as Jesus says. It's it's when it's when you're persecuted. It's when your own family hates you. It's when as as we just w- walked through Luke. As it's when the enemy will sift you through persecution. It's through it's through when these things happen. And so like that's part of taking up that whole cross thing is there's a lot that that encompasses and, and there's a lot that that carries. And so when we do that, when we're following Jesus, there is no regard for what's behind in terms of how of what I've left. There is in terms of who I look for and who I want to bring with me. But in terms of like there is nothing left to fear because he is what we're looking for. And that's tough. To, it's e- much easier to say and tough to live out because sh- sharing my faith, I've always found it. This is a personal thing. Sharing my faith with people that I know. Like I can walk up with a stranger. I can go to a church camp tomorrow and speak to somebody at some apartment complex or wherever at a rec center or whatever doing some kind of ministry. Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. We'll share the gospel with him. But when I go talk to my granddad about it, or I got to go talk to an aunt or an uncle, or I've got to go talk to a cousin, a cousin or, or a friend, friend. that I, a, mm-hmm. a, a family friend or someone I've known my whole life that also knows me more than the people somewhere else who don't know my actions and know my reputation and whatnot. That that's hard. Like it's it is, di- hard. it is very difficult. So I I under we understand the anxiety and the worry and like and some of the the difficulties that come with that. But so did Jesus when he said that but it's going to happen. So doesn't that lead us though to stop and look at our own life yet again as we're going through all of this and realize that oftentimes the reason it's hard with them is there there's context. There's a whole lot of qualifiers in the background of your relationship with them, them knowing you. That's, that's what they know me. They, yes, they absolutely. Know, they know how you speak. They know how you behave. They know how you treat your family. They know how you do everything. They know the depths I of it. So it makes you, you have to yeah. stop and realize, okay, living this out and why, one of the whys of the importance of it. Which I think that that very thing, I mean, when Jesus in Acts 1 8, describes what the Great Commission looks like. He says, and you will be my witnesses in your hometown and then Mm -hmm. going out Mm. from there. Mm -hmm. And so it should start at home. It should start in our literal homes. Uh, One of the fears that I've always had is being one of those guys who was there for everybody in the community, preached the gospel faithfully every Sunday, and lost my kids Yeah, because I'd never spoke truth to them. And we see that Lot does not control his own family. His mm. own wife is going to be lost in this story. Wow. Yeah. And so it's easy for us to look beyond. Um, but And again, it comes back to the same thing. My kids know my reality. They know what I'm like when I'm angry, yeah. Yeah. when I'm, I'm 
fussy because I haven't slept and haven't eaten, and I come in the door, and there's, you know, the, the book bags are in the kitchen the way I've asked them a thousand times not just to walk in the door and dump your stuff, and I pitch an absolute baby fit like a three-year-old, it's hard to turn around and then say, okay, let's do our quiet time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now let's talk about Jesus. Or just, yes. you know, random circumstance here. You know, one kid backs into the car of another kid. Oh, you know, yeah. Just, just, for in- just for instance, just, because that may or may not have happened yesterday. Sure. And, and it calls you to explain why it's not their fault. Wait, I think I missed something here. Yes. The, the yeah. first fu- sentence after the phone call is, this isn't my fault. I had to. I had no, I had no, I had to. I had, my, my site was obje- it was it was blocked. I had no, I had all there was there was it was all blocked. It was there's blockage. And I was like, you <laughs> so, but how many parenting circumstances do you not sit there and explain to each one their role and the mess up? Okay, you're primarily at fault here, but the way you reacted here, you've got to do this, and you start you know pulling them back by the collar and absolutely. You know? Well, and uh, again, the the uh, C.S. Lewis talks about in mere Christian or in Screw Tape Letters. That if you have your patient well in hand, and if you remember, screw tape letters are written from one demon to another, how to control their patient. Um, if you have your patient well in hand, you can have him where he gets off of his knees in prayer for his wife and then yells at her and treats her poorly mm-hmm. and sees no contradiction between the two. And so it's easy for the enemy to back us into the hypocrisy of not realizing that we're called to live out Christ first at home. Yeah. And if, in fact, the, if you look at the qualifications for an elder, if you're not living out at home, you don't have the right to live it out in the church. Mm. Yeah. And so it should be concentric circles going out from there. And we see with Lot his failures that ended up costing thousands of people their lives because he, he is in a position of leadership. He's in the gate, which for this culture means he was one of the rulers of that community. And I dare say it cost him everything. Oh, it did. He lost uh, everything. I'm not saying that, he, except his life. I mean, it, well, he, if you he just said that. he was a leader, he has to walk away from that. And as a guy, let me just say, nobody likes that. Nobody wants to walk away from the power and that seat of authority position, and yes. the respect. And as the next few verses will talk about, he loses he loses his family. He loses his wife and throughout all this. Like this is just like it costs every, every person who's following God, everyone who's following Jesus. It costs him. It, there is always a cost, and it costs Lot here. Yeah. All right, so Lot um, is there. When they walk up, he immediately, because he knows the tenor of the community, uh, when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, bowed down his face to the earth, and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Now, I will say, um, pretty much everywhere except the West, um, hospitality has a totally different meaning than it does here. Um, I, I've given the example of when I, I lived in Turkey, and, and honestly, I've seen this uh, in a- Asia, in um, India, um, in Nepal, in the Tibet, area of Tibet, uh, I've seen this in uh, Central and South America, that if a stranger walks into the community and acts appropriately within the cultural boundaries, then that community has feels a responsibility to take care of them. Um, in fact, I had a person, uh, when, when I lived in Turkey, I had go, was in a Part, just a part of town. I was in the same town that I lived in. It was a city of six million or so, uh, but but I was in the, the same town that I, I lived in, and this particular gentleman went above and beyond to to make sure I had food, to make sure that I knew where I was going, to make sure, and I, I actually asked him, why, why are you doing this? And he said, if 
you come into my community, my area, and you're not taken care of, then that brings shame on us. And if we do make you leave here saying, oh, those are good people, then we've brought honor to our name. And I think that that was a good summation of the way the rest of the world looks at things. The the thought that came to mind for me as you're talking through that is thinking about the protection like that Ben, my husband, offers for our family. Like if somebody comes into our home, he wants to protect us and take care of us and make sure that, you know, we are respectable and how he leads that. And it just seems an extension of that as you go into other cultures. Oh, absolutely. The men who are just reaching out and extending their um, their umbrella of coverage, you know, a little wider. I was um, there was there was a community in extreme, when I say extreme, I mean like literally on the border of Syria and Iran and Iraq, uh, the edge of Turkey, there's an area called Van, V-A-N. Um, there was a severe earthquake and um, a little little town called Alabaluk was completely destroyed and most of the city, the areas from where the epicenter of this earthquake were, were destroyed and it's very much so a Kurdish community. Um, and I, I had worked disaster relief before, but not to this extreme. And I was, have never been the first um, group of, of first responders that had w- gone into something of that extreme. And so uh, driving down, we literally, I had a, a little bus, and we walked into um, a, a little store uh, and essentially bought everything and filled this bus floor to ceiling to where even the passenger, I could barely drive. I've got tarps, I've got food, I've got formula, we've got everything that you could cram in this thing. We've got, I get into a village and um, not realizing how A, people are panicky and B, how stupid it would be for me to essentially walk up and go, hey, food for anybody who's hungry. Um, I kind of did that sort of thing. But with me and one other person, more or less by herself in this village, and Pretty quickly, within two or three minutes, I mean, I'm being pushed up against the vehicle. The, I can feel the van rocking from people trying to get in the windows from the other side. Um, I, and I realize that I've just bitten off more than I can chew, and I'm about to die in the middle of nowhere, and nobody's going to find my body for years. Um, and this guy walks up who was a little bitty short guy, and he had uh, a withered hand. Now, in Turkish culture, any kind of physical deformities would have meant you were never going to be in a position of authority. But this guy had a withered hand. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. They, he, but yeah, he had yeah, a, a birth yeah. defect. Yeah. And he walked up into this crowd and walked up to the biggest guy that was there and reached up and grabbed him by the bottom lip, pinched him in the bottom lip, and pulled him down face to face. Because, he, like I said, he may have been five foot. Pulled him down so that they were face to face and yelled at him. And this guy starts walking and just throwing people. The, the little guy comes up to me and says, who are you and what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And so I explained to him. I fe- figured out that he was the Muftar. He was the person that was in control of that village. Now, how he had gotten there being, being having a birth defect, I don't know, but he was in control. And once he uh, understood that I was there to help him, within minutes this went from me seriously thinking I'm about to die to there being organized lines, um, him saying, we don't need this. Why don't you save this for a different village? We've got this. Him dividing things up. And once his umbrella of authority was on me, nobody and people treated me with respect and called me sir, called, used honorific titles for me. But it took his oversight on me. Mm-hmm. 
And once he had acknowledged that I was there in his name, it was his responsibility to protect me. And for the rest of the two or three weeks that I was in the Vaughn area, everywhere I went, I had somebody from his village that was a big old bullhonking guy with a big stick with me. And they were there to protect me. And because in his mind, if someone had hurt me or tried to rob me, it would have brought shame to him. That's just the way that culture works. It, it, it had nothing to do with me. That wasn't that they loved Americans or that they wanted the stuff. It had more to do with honor and respect and shame. And so in this village, the very fact that that, that idea had degraded shows you to the level that Sodom had fallen that they were willing to, someone that was a leader in their city had taken him under their, uh, their, their umbrella, if you will, and yet the people are going to come still be, be beaten on the doors. And Lot's the guy with authority who has the background of the moral standard still present in his life, but without sharing it with those around him. They didn't. Yeah. And so we see how far they've fallen. All right, so they, they, come, they come in. They, uh, they had said, no, we're going to spend the night in the town square. Again, I've had this conversation a thousand times in some little village where I'm bringing a group of college kids from South Carolina, and I'm in the middle of nowhere up in the mountains, um, and I was like, we've got tents. We're just going to go out in the, the Yila and spend the night. No, you're not. You are sleeping, and usually we would be sleeping in that Muftar's house in his bed, and he's sleeping on out in the living room with, with his family um, because it was their position. So having this exact, we're just going to sleep in the town square. No, you're not. And so they turned aside, enter his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Uh, and they wanted to rape these men. They, they Know them is, uh, means that they wanted to have sex with them. Uh, bring them out. And Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him. So Lot was respected enough to where they weren't going to hurt him. So he steps out, shuts the door, begs them not to uh, do this. In fact, and this, again, shows how strongly in Lot's heart and mind the, this level of shame and, and honor and everything was ingrained is he offers his own daughters if they will back off from these men who are in his house. Doesn't it also show, though, how, I mean, aside from the society and cultural things uh, standards about women but doesn't it also show how much the place that he had lived in had begun to affect him oh absolutely his his train of thought the way he treated others that he's offering up his daughters just makes you flinch oh well he knows the culture well enough to say hey you know what i can't i can't have this happen but this will appease him you know like i don't i don't walk into a group of kids and say hey put that down i'll give you a carrot if you put it down like you don't do that what do i do if i want a kid to put something down cuz he shouldn't have it hey do you want this here's, it also here's a, shows it's here's pretty a, serious yeah, at that moment here's a, here's, yeah. a, here's a jolly rancher don't you know put that put that fork down or whatever like you know what i'm saying like he knew that hey i can't I, they can't. I can't have them do this, so I'll give them something to replace it that will appease them. So and he they're knows, serious enough that they're going to stick with doing. Yeah, something. That they, that yeah. they're going. That they uh, they've got the Emma. We've got we've got some agenda to put to to push here. We've got to we've got to do something. And Lot's like, okay, well, I can't have them do this to the guys in my house. So let's appease them with something else. Like uh, he knows the culture oh, wow. it well enough I mean, to say. 
they're he's giving them something still worth of something to them. Does that make sense? Like he does. Yeah. And and I've always I don't even remember the first place that I heard this that people are um, as individuals are usually pretty smart and you can get to know them. A mob group is really stupid. Yeah, totally different. (laughs) A group of people is totally even. I would even say a mob. You get five or six young men together running their mouths. Mm -hmm. That's totally different than dealing with each one of them individually. Yeah. Oh yeah. The 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 voice of uh, uh, the loud voice of stupidity is much of a group of stupid people is much (laughs) louder than just one ignorant person. All of a sudden, with a crowd of stupidity comes a lot of confidence, and I'm not sure where it comes from, but that's it seems like the two and two go hand in hand until sort of something goes south quickly. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. because one guy who's a little ignorant and got and just, you know, big and broad and got a loud mouth, most of the time you can talk him down pretty quickly. Hey, son, don't be an idiot. You know, don't do anything stupid. But all of a sudden, there's five or six of them, and we've just got confidence out the wazoo. I mean, we're just it's just coming out of our ears. We've got all kinds of stuff to, to say and do. I would say when humans bond together as an organism, and God, God recognized at the Tower of Babel that this is a powerful entity. It can be powerful for God's work, which is what how the church works, mm-hmm. that we're strengthening each other, we're preparing each other, we're equipping each other, and this is also how societies are destroyed. You, you read about the... the uh, rule of terror during the French Revolution, and it's scary what groups of people mm, will do. Yeah. And so we see here in this story that this group of people is is not only acting in, in a, a crazed, just unbelievably lathered up way. Lot is trying to appease them. These angels, and again, this kind of reminds me of Spurgeon when uh, during the downgrade controversy and when Spurgeon was... Um, being asked why he wasn't defending the the inerrancy of Scripture, and he famously said, a lion doesn't need me to defend it. It needs me to open the cage and get out of the way. Um, and so here, Lot, it's kind of funny if you just is standing outside facing off with this mob to two angels that really aren't that worried about this mob. <laughs> <laughs> because once... Um, they step in and take charge. Uh, it says that the, the, the crowd pressed in hard against the man lot and drew near to break down the door. But um, the men, the angels, reached out with their hands, brought lot into the house with them, and shut the door. And then they just, and it just says this casually, they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so they wore themselves out groping for the door. So first of all, I want, want to point out, the angels didn't have anything to fear. I mean, they just go, uh, get in the house lot and then <laughs> you know w- w- i don't know if they twinkled their nose or they snapped their finger <laughs> it doesn't say it just said they struck them with blindness so all of a sudden everybody both small and great young and old are all blind so that shows god's power and how oftentimes it's kind of like when joshua and we'll see this in a you know year or so when we get to the store joshua <laughs> when joshua's out Walking around Jericho, so worried and concerned about this battle, and he runs into the angel who's the Lord of the army of the Lord, and and he goes, are you for us or against us? And the angel says, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> but I'm. Go- it's like I'm not studying your little petty. I'm not, your petty <laughs> conflict your, your worries and concerns is not my worries and concerns. So, yeah. Um, so here these angels deal the other thing that we see in this little short 
section is that even when blinded, these men wanted to continue with their sin. I mean, they're knocked blind, and they're still groping for the door. They're not going, whoa, wait, I need to go see an ophthalmologist, optometrist, (laughs) optician. One of them eye doctors. They gotta go see somebody. Yeah, but the, I mean, but you see the um, the circumstance changed so greatly with blindness, um, but it didn't change their hearts. Like nothing inside of them changed. They, they still got, were determined to do what they wanted. They to said do. they tired themselves out groping for the door. Yes, that sounds like that's. I, I'd give up before I got that tired. I'm just, so, I'm just saying. So the background of that word, have you ever looked it up to know, is, is this blindness, like literally they couldn't see anything or they just couldn't find the door? No, it's blind. I mean, it's using a word here for blindness. Okay. All right. Um, I just wondered crazy. if, cause if, if, if they're. That's why they're groping for the door. Yeah. 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 But I mean, like, I mean, I, I guess I'm thinking movie um, special effects, but did they just make the door, you know, gone all of a sudden? No, they blinded them, and they like optical illusion. Okay, so we're, we're we're if you think about this, how often when I'm sinning, does God put little things in there to convict me, to remind me of who I am in Him, and I step over those things? No, no sense in meddling here. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I step over those things to continue <laughs> in my with sin. Lot story, yeah. yeah. We do. And so it's to me, this is a, a very true, ugly but true picture of human nature. Mm. I want what I want, even if it's it's like in, in Romans chapter 1. It's we will go out of our way to sin. It's like it's the easiest thing to do is not to sin. And again, I go with Romans 1, the best translation that I've ever heard is the Papa Holmes translation, which is him saying of someone that, was a member of, of our church, and he said, that man would climb a tree to tell a lie rather than stand flat-footed on the ground and tell the truth. <laughs> and when he said that, I'm like, that's a pretty good translation of Romans <laughs> 1 that would go out of our way to sin. I like that. So here these guys are, are groping in the dark. The men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, son-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out, for we are about to destroy this place. So they didn't. They were getting ready for bed. You know what? We're not even going to go to bed and do this in the morning. We're, we're done. Um, this has proven, when Abram said, could we, if you could find at least 10 people here, well, God couldn't. Hmm. And so, um, so Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, uh, who were who were to marry his daughters, so they hadn't married them yet, but they were to marry them, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be joking. They didn't, they didn't believe that he had a relationship with God. They didn't believe that he knew what he was talking about. And I, again, I'm not trying to meddle, and I'm not trying to, I cannot tell you the number of times, though, when tragedy comes into people's lives. And if the Bible's made anything clear, and human experience should make anything clear, into each of our lives, tragedy is going to fall. In the South, there can be someone who never goes to church. They have nothing to do with God. They talk regularly about all them hypocrites down there that are just, or that preacher that's just trying to get everybody's money. But the moment tragedy sneaks into their life, 
We're just depending on the Lord. How many people on Facebook do you see a Friday night post about how they were going to get their drunk on and then a Sunday morning post about how good the Lord is? Mm. And just like Lot's son-in-law, nobody takes that seriously. Yeah, the, the, the social media rant about others where you belittle or hurt others or deliberately go after them and then to turn around and post scripture. If you love Jesus, you better share this. <laughs> yes, you know, yeah. Gosh, love so those. Yeah. And the, the way we treat others at all times and so speaks I, to who we are. It, it, it doesn't get any sadder than Lot standing in front of his sons-in-law saying, Yahweh is about to destroy this place, and them elbowing each other and like giggling like he knows who God is. They're looking at him like he's a little drunk or off his rocker or elevator not quite off. I mean, all the little sayings that we use, but they're looking at him, and they're totally ignoring truth. So he's begging them to go. They, they're thinking he's, he is jesting. The angels urge Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away with the punishment of the city. But he lingered so that the angels grabbed him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. And the Lord, being merciful to him, brought him out and set him outside of the city. How often has God had to yank my butt up and drag me out of my own sin? You'll notice how quiet Matt and I are being. I mean, <laughs> you're really sticking it to us today, <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah. I, this this picture of the angels taking them by the hand, and I, I, I will never forget um, being in uh, Kmart, of all places, one of my children uh, getting themselves in real trouble because they wouldn't shut their mouth, and me, as quickly as I could, dragging them out to the car, having them by the arm, and someone going, you shouldn't be mean to that child. And that's why it's imprinted in my head of my response being, and you need to mind your own business. Um, but uh, all of a sudden, that kid's like, thank goodness. He's not going to be mad at somebody else other than me. Please. <laughs> well, uh, you know, you're we talk about kids. Let's not talk about ourselves and what, what we find ourselves in a place. Well, we and, and so that, I, that image but, of walking through the mall, and I'm sure I've done it 50 times with one kid by each hand, yeah. get to the car. Because they've st stood there and been like, I want the candy. And you're not getting the candy. But I want the candy. And, bah! and then you leave the buggy in the aisle as you yank them up and you've got them by that. That is literally what's being described here, that these this angel has said, come on, let's go. Lot's lingering. He's looking at all of his stuff he's about to lose. He's looking at the city that he loves so much, but not enough to tell them about God. And the angels have to grab him by the hand and yank him and place him outside of the city. See, my visual goes to the kid of mine that I had to walk out. Out of the mall from the center of it being soaking wet had been warned don't play in the fountain don't play oh, near wow. the fountain don't oh, play around the fountain no. I, don't get near that don't do that and the kid falls in the fountain there is nothing to do there i i don't we're way past the age of an extra change of clothes in a diaper bag and i am literally walking the kid out with my hand on the collar 
and you know his toes are barely hitting the ground. <laughs> and we had parked. Oh, he's, at, he's dripping <laughs> everywhere. I mean, we leave a trail. It's like he, down, she's walking to the food. To court. this day, in the Gadsden Mall, there's a place because they had shampooed the carpets. No, that no, 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 no. But no, there's like there's I can just he's doing like she's yeah. walking to the food court where it's tile and this kid's slipping over his own puddles behind him. <laughs> Look, there was car. It was that industrial carpet, and you know, through the majority of the the mall, and we had parked at the end, not in the middle somewhere where we could get oh, yeah. to it. You're yeah. down there by. Sears. Yeah. We, we were. And <laughs> oh, I know this ball, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I, had to, I had to take that kid and walk him through the whole mall. He's crying. He's soaking wet. He's now humiliated because he's old enough to recognize I fell in the fountain. Everybody. Please tell me this mind. is Noah. I want this to be Noah. It's in this not part. Noah. Oh, and, but I mean, as we're walking out, I mean, it, it, he just and I am so mad. My mom is walking behind me with the other two kids, and they're all quiet. I'm talking. Oh, oh, oh you're not saying a dad thing. <laughs> we went from um, everybody pushing and shoving and jostling, you know, the normal sure. mall hustle. Can we get a cookie? Yeah. I want a cookie. Oh, I want an icy. Why don't you give me that? Let's go watch a movie. Why don't you do that? You know, I want to ride the airplane. You know, the whole the whole nine yards. And but we now, had to silence. walk. It's complete silence. And it was complete silence all the way to my house. Wow. Like, we opened the car doors, and I... Which is like a thirty minute drive just for con- just for context. Oh, for context. Yeah, yes, that's like a thir- it's How uncomfortable is your yes. mother in this car? Yeah, it's yes. just like it's Seriously. like even your mom wasn't gonna say this. Like, no. Not gonna poke that bear. No. Not doing that. Nobody's poking the bear. Yeah, but uh, and but you look at Lot and you see them him being drug out. He had immersed himself uh, to use the water picture in in that culture and in that time. And then he finds himself humiliated, um, and uh, and sad. You know, as he is drug out, but all because all over stuff, and all not recognizing stuff. that, and, and this is the part that brings you to James. Okay, James says, "Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, because God is using that to purify you." Lot is not recognizing that God is saving his life. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the craziest part of all this is that Lot's looking at this like. Gosh, man! Like, what? Get I'm off lo- me! I'm losing all my stuff. Like, we like, like little kid. Like, let me go, and like my shoulders <laughs> coming out of socket because I'm trying to let go. Of my, like, I'm trying to. Well, you know when take your mom's my- got that hold yeah. on your hand and you cannot you shake can't her. Shake it. Yeah. And like, that's what Lot's going through. And like, all of this is like, dude, he's saving your life. Like, he's giving you another chance. Like, he, he's doing all this for you. And then I think it's like, man, Lot's an idiot. But then I look at Matt. It's like, Matt, you're also an idiot because yeah. how often, as Tom said. Am I caught where I'm caught? If I'm caught right in the middle of about to sin or have been sinning and God catches me and or it I'm gives stepping me stepping over things yeah, to continue yeah. to or, sin. And there's an opportunity for to go to turn it around, do the right thing. I say no consequences, but it's like it, it, it's like okay, hey, you're caught before any any massive ramifications of your sin have happened other than just, you know, you sinning in general. And I'm just going to keep doing it. Because that's what that's what I want to do, and I don't realize it as this is this is a God who loves you, this is a Father who cares for you, being gracious to you, showing mercy to you, but you just want to do what you want, you just want what you want, how you want it, when you want it, because you think you've got it all figured out, and that's for a lot. That's that's a kid falling into a fountain. Like it all comes back to I just want what I want. If you'll just please leave me alone, Dad Gum, and I'll be fine. But at the same time, too, recognizing that ourselves in that when there's a tragedy that hits, as you 
process it mentally, you're seeing levels of consequence that are happening. Um, when you go through a trauma, you know, there's the immediate, we've got to take care of this. But, you know, an hour later, you're like, oh, oh, and we'll have to take care of this. Sure. And then four hours later, you're sitting around, you know, my mind immediately went to uh, recently at church um, when when we were looking at the possibility, Tom, of you not being here with us or not for a long time. You know, as that day went on, we were seeing oh, levels. That, of, it was it was crazy. It was it it, it was. Not, oh, we, we've got consequences we never, for Sunday, but we've got consequences for the next few weeks. Yeah, it was. Got, you it, know, it, it, it ranged from, and this is in reference of you know Pastor Tom having a heart attack a few months ago. It was okay. Hey, we've got to get Sunday planned. Oh, mm-hmm. but then we're supposed to have. Oh, we got an el- we've, we've got, we've got an got el- we've got an elder vote yeah. coming up. Yeah. And we've got we've got all the, we've got all this stuff, stuff and stuff. And so like, I, I see what you're and saying. And then the personal layers of that, like our, our relationships with you, as you've mentored and discipled all of us. You know, we're. I mean, the day goes along, and I'm thinking through. All who's going to tell me if all these things? sermons suck? Yeah. Who's going to Who's supposed to Who's supposed to tell me that what I'm preaching is crap? <laughs> who's going to get? I can record some. <laughs> <laughs> we need some footage. But I, I remember that day as my mind developed through that. So I'm looking at Lot now. He's going through trauma that's happening immediately. He realizes the con- some of the consequences. So as he's thinking this through, you know, in his mind, all of this is coming on him, you know, a bit at a time. And it have, doesn't stop for him. I don't know we're about I'm, to see with his wife. I don't know right. where we're going to live. I don't know where all my, how am I going to, how am I going to make a living? Where I am I, where am I, yeah, I where's had, my animals? Where's I, my yeah, livestock? Flocks, where's my food, shelter, the whole thing, you know, his, his social circles are going, you know. Um, literally going. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> that's what up, I mean. You up know, in flames, per se. Per, I'm just saying. But uh, he's watching as each of these and all of that consequence is rolling into his life hmm. a bit at a time. So um, he he uh, is told that um, that he needs to escape for your life. Uh, the the angels say, "Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away." And Lot said to them, "Oh no, my lord! Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster take, overtake me and I I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape here." Um, he said to them, behold, I'll grant you this favor. So they let him go to another city, but they're told, do not look back. Um, so this is what happens at Sodom. God that says the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar, the city that he was allowed to flee to. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and all that grew on the ground. But what Lot's wife... Behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was that God had destroyed the cities of the valley. And God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst and overthrew when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. And so... uh, that the, okay, so literally, the text says that that um, Lot's wife was behind him, looked back, and was turned to salt. What that scientifically was, I, I you know, I, I don't know. I, I just have to believe the text. Um, some have suggested that she was so far behind him that if if 
fire and sulfur is falling that she keeps lingering, and so she gets caught up in that, and she's burned up, and it, he sees the white ash of her burning up from um, uh, the heat, radiant heat is what I was trying to think of, the word radiant. The radiant heat burnt her up, and so she appeared to, like salt. Um, in that particular part of Israel, there are columns of salt, and some have said, oh, that's Lot's wife. That's, um, that, I think that that's, this story happened before the geographical situation that occurred that created salt, so I think that that's us looking for kind of superstitious and supernatural explanation for naturally occurring things. The text says what it says, and um, I think that the warning for us is is this, that uh, most of the people who are listening to this podcast, I'm going to assume, are believers and that you've gotten saved. And I know we all kind of go through this arc of our lives where soon after you're saved, man, you're you're excited about the things of the Lord and you can't read the Bible enough and you can't get enough out of, you, you want to be around Christians all the time and the church becomes your place. And then as time goes, you start looking back fondly. Maybe some of those songs you listen to as you, um, as you went drinking become something that you let your past pull you back in that direction in your heart. Maybe you don't go back there. Maybe you're not going to go, you know, buy a 12-pack and get tore up again and sit around and listen to Garth Brooks. I think that the warning here is don't let your heart go there. Don't let yourself, because naturally we kind of, you know, that that girl that you dated in ninth grade, you you look back, you don't remember the <laughs> arguments. You only remember how pretty she looked she when you went to prom. She was the love of your life. Yes. And so yes. it's just natural for us to to start looking longingly back at the things um, when we were younger, when the, the way things used to be. And I, I'm saying don't, what this text is warning us to to not do is fictionalize your past and look at times that were actually would have destroyed you if you'd stayed in that that life pattern. Yeah, it was. Well, even even outside of uh, a believer, as looking at the situation with Lot's wife, like she was looking back, and she again, even her, who it, from what contextually we didn't see. I mean, Lot wasn't sharing it with his family, so I'd assume she's probably not following God. But she gets saved in this too, and still doesn't make that recognition that God is providing for her, that God is saving, and still all of that was not enough. And the whole, you know, grass is grass is green on the other side or whatever, and you hear the kind of well, grass is greener where you water it. I find joy in Christ when I am consistently pursuing Christ. I mean, like, it's, it's, well, and again, that is so simply said, when I'm understanding and getting to know who God is, as a as a as a father as savior as all the different as all the different things that he does for us as i get to know him it's just like if i'm getting to know my fiance if the first time i met her if i just stopped there well, i probably wouldn't be engaged to her we might have still dated for a little bit but that's not going to happen as donna and tom both of you guys have been married for a long amount of time you both would say that even 20 plus years later y'all still figure figure out new things about your yeah. spouse you still find little quirks or oh that's that's new i don't know you like that or all of a sudden you know ben's got to eat fish more often and tom's got to you know eat nothing but grass and it's just it's like <laughs> stuff Amen. changes and you and you figure things out if i if i stop at just my introduction to jesus and just meeting him and get saved or whatever and then all of a sudden i start eh, this really isn't it i don't really i don't i don't i don't, I don't get to know him just like I know anybody else in my relationship, we don't have we don't have friends like that. We don't have relationships like that. So why would my relationship with Jesus be any different? 
when we start to look back or look at the old self or or whatever and realize look, this is whether I was where I was at then or where I'll be in the future outside of Christ, I'm broken and desolate either way. And that's what's, that's where I'm going to find joy. That's where I'm going to find, that's where I'm going to be sustained is in him, not through anything that I have had or could have. It's when I'm in Christ, when I'm knowing him, when I'm consistently pursuing him, when I'm figuring out who the father is and what my purpose is in him, that's when we find joy. That's when we're sustained. And that's when, that that's when life is, is, we're in, we're 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 in God's plan because we're giving Him the glory in the things that we do, and we're and we're knowing Him, not looking back, not looking not looking ahead, looking at the cross, looking at the empty grave, and knowing who our King is, knowing our Maker, because that's what we're made to do. That's our purpose is to know Him. And balancing that that perspective out, we have to also think and and let people know that you're not always on the mountaintop. Hmm. That we you see Christians who are walking it out and think they're always supposed to feel. Uh, you know, like just just shy of glory, yeah. like everything's good that they they cannot accept in themselves that that there is going to be that ebb and flow or the um, you know I think it was uh, Lewis that C.S. Lewis who peaks and troughs is what he called it. Well, you David know, says this in the Psalms. In, 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 David says this in Psalms. He says, yeah. "Yea, when I walk, yea, though I walk, it's not if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's." It's when I but walk up on the but valley. There are, but there are those who struggle with that when they yeah, hit that sure. low and they, they look at themselves and think, I'm not supposed to be here. Now, if you're not utilizing the means of grace that we've talked about with the fellowship and the you know prayer time and um, you know scripture, the things that we that God has given us to walk consistently with him, if you're not using those in your life, then yes, you're going to be at a low. But there are going to be ups and downs in your life where sin, um, because you are not God. You know, but that sanctification process that he's walking us through as Christians, I, I don't think early on after I had gotten saved that I realized that there would be times that I, you know, was going to be in a place where reading my Bible became more chore than, you know, at, at one point you just can't get enough. You drink it all in and then you go through those places where you're OK, this is a duty. And then God brings you and then draws you back to him and you go up and down with that. But I think that one side of it is what you said, that we do have to use the means of grace mm-hmm. and walk consistently with him and understanding that you can't be perfect at it. Because well, yeah. you get the idea of, Hey, what did I do? What did I do wrong? What is, what have I, what have I done? It's automatically, I've done something. If I don't have the camp and, 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 and not, and, and not saying that there's not consequences for you sin. That's not what, that's not what any of you are saying, but like I can be pursuing Christ and guess what? Bad stuff's still going to happen. I'm like gonna, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the one, the maker. And guess what? Bad stuff happened to him. I can struggle with depression. I can struggle with, uh, you know, a, a particular sin. In fact, I Jesus can, guarantees us that bad stuff's going to happen. It will. Absolutely. It will. When you You're going to have yeah. tragedy. You're going to have problems. You're going to have ups and downs. I, that's, but that's know. a huge, I think that's just a huge misconception of when you come to Christ. And now I'm happy all the day. Yeah. And now and I'm happy <laughs> all the day. And so yeah. when I'm not happy. I forget this, you know, I'm chucking the Bible on the table or on the bookshelf and I, I, I prayed and I worshiped and I went to church for a few weeks and it, and nothing changed. Well, your heart changed. I mean, reading the, the, the word doesn't come back void or anything, but that doesn't mean that everybody else's heart changed. It doesn't mean that there's still not sin going to happen. And or I the think pastor that's a, who says, you know, I, I, I got happy when I got saved and I've never stopped. And I, yeah. you know, you look at them and go. Huh. Wow. Wow. No, I think I think think that's Vicodin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, 
Uh, but there, at the same time, it does. There is a difference, though, in that, and I think the difference is, is, and we, it's hard for us to to grasp this. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Hundred yeah. yes. percent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's but, the difference between a trip to Six Flags and a trip to the Grand Canyon. Mm. One is fun, and it's cotton candy, and it's 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 bright lights, it, and, it's bright lights and it's it's. Screen machine <laughs> and the and yeah motion sickness and then then the other one is awe inspiring yeah, yeah. that and, makes sense and so there there's a difference between those and I think that it, as Americans with our Burger King mentality I want it my way yeah. and I want it now we have a hard time grasping that that joy I can be in the midst of huge tragedy in my life and still have peace and joy. Un, un, unspeakable. That, it is well with my soul. Mm-hmm. It is well with my soul. It's it's yeah. that ultimately, no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. But it's but it may not. But I may not be happy in that moment. And I'm not going to have the camp high. I'm not going to have the revival. You know, constantly there. But I am going to have peace with my Savior. And and yeah. I look at people like uh, William Cowper, who uh, is a great Christian. Uh, he wrote a lot of a lot of the hymns that we we used to sing. Um, uh, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's uh, veins. Yeah. He wrote that one. Mm-hmm. Um, he he struggled with depression uh, his whole life. Attempted suicide multiple times in his life. Um, in his life, because he was in Christ, it ultimately ended with him shedding those physiological, chemical, whatever was yeah. causing that depression to where his faithfulness to the Lord is honored and rewarded. And this slight momentary affliction is incomparable to the eternal weight of glory. Amen. And so William Cowper, we, you would look at his life and say, his life was was a waste because he he went through his whole life. He struggles with depression. He ended up having to live with his pastor because he he. But at the end of this earthly existence, he was ushered into an eternal reward. That God and you know what? Some of it's a mystery. We don't understand why God allows things to happen. But what we do know is exactly what Paul said that he is being prepared and equipped for a weight of glory that there's a reason there. Mm-hmm. And so w- with me, when, you know, I, I, they were just talking about the heart attack. I remember the very first day when I came to and could not stand up. And I, I'm in my mind trying to race with what happened and what's going on. I c- was not happy. Um, I've heard. <laughs> yes. I was not, I, I was not happy, but in my, uh, somewhere in the back of my mind, um, I knew that ultimately it's going to be okay. Whether I lived or died, it's going to be okay. Uh, and I did actually in the, the um, I did sing to myself as a self-comforting sort of thing, um, it is well with my soul. Mm. Because I needed to remind myself. And the beauty of music and him and words that have been put to, um, to that to that place where you can elevate the soul with um, the combination of well, and words and music. And sometimes and when I can't come up with the say, it's come up with what to say. Somebody else has already said it, and there's already music behind it. So I'm just going to rock with that. Yeah. Like sometimes yeah. that's just sure. where I'm at with yeah. music. Is you know what I actually 
cannot put into words what's in my head, what's on my heart, what's happening in my soul. But somebody else already has gone through this and has was much more eloquent than I was, and they did it. So I'm just going to rock with what they've got because it's so fitting. One of the places that, you know, like if I've struggled with guilt or shame over when a place when I have not been doing all that I should be for Christ and, you know, in that that guilt and that sort of where I'm persecuting myself over mm. trying to torture myself over the lack of my faithfulness. I, one of the songs that I go back to is come thou fount mm. and, um, yes. you know, um, come thou fount of every blessing, but the part where he sings prone to wonder, prone to leave oh, him. Lord, I feel you know, it. Prone to leave the God I love, you know? And, you, and have you heard the story about that? Yes. Yeah. Where yeah. that guy who wrote that He's in a stage did coach. run from God and had <laughs> yes. someone, He's out in the middle of, uh, he had lived a, a, a quite a heathen lifestyle a good bit, and he finds himself, uh, if I remember the story correctly, he finds himself in a stagecoach traveling pl- between places out west, and a lady across from him has a hymn book and is reading it, and she reads it to him, back to him, the, the, the song that he wrote. Wow. And she said, listen to this, and she reads back to him, Come Thou Fount, with Prone to Wonder. Prone to leave the God I love. Wow. And he's sitting in a stagecoach running from God. That's crazy. Yeah. Mm. Yes. So um, I guess uh, today's main point is we're, we need to go back to the hymnal. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you'd see in Lot's story, can I just say, can we back it up just a tad bit when he left Abraham? You know, the means of grace that sure. God had given him to live with someone else who was a, a true believer and was following and obeying God. And Lot walked away from it because he wanted the shiny... Sure. Because he wa- he you know? wanted what Lot wanted, mm-hmm. and that's that's tough. Because I want what I want. And what I know what's leave? best. I know what I can do. I I can ju- I can figure it out until I get to that point, which I'm sure Lot's ex- experiences after he's lost his wife and lost everything. He's like, you know what? No, I can't. Lot lives, but Lot lives with the consequences of yeah. what he has done. Yes. Yes, he he is saved by the skin of his teeth, mm. with the, his garment smelling of smoke. Yeah. On that note, um, go serve your king. This has been Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. Thanks for listening, and go serve your king. <laughs>